HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Harris Salat, who is a journalist and the owner of two popular Japanese restaurants, Ganso Ramen and Ganso Yaki in Brooklyn. Hello, Harris. Welcome hey, to the show. Thank you for having me today, Akiko. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll talk about your amazing Japanese restaurants in a moment, but first, uh, could you tell us how you got into food business? Because I heard that uh, you worked as a dairy farmer, bread baker, and a cook. I failed in so many things. <laughs> so, you know, it's the last, uh, you know, it's kind of the default choice after you've failed in so many other things. You can always work in a restaurant. <laughs> right. But there must be no reason, right, to be a dairy farmer. I wouldn't have done it. No, I, I, loved, uh, I loved farming. Uh, that was really a lot of fun. And... Um, but uh, I got, I've been cooking for a long time, and I, uh, I started to work as a cook in my 20s in New York. Mm. Um, and actually, I was taking some classes, uh, cooking classes in, in a place that doesn't exist anymore. And it was, uh, I could do it for free if I uh, helped clean up afterwards and just kind of do all that stuff, which was fine with me. I, you know, I've washed many a dish. And um, then I started to, to know the chef, um, and one of his cooks broke his arm, and he's like, hey, do you want to work in my, in my restaurant? So that's how I started cooking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry, but lucky you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Right. Um, 
But um, then you became a journalist in 1991 and right. uh, reported for Associated Press Radio, uh, produced TV news at CBS News and CNBC, and worked in the internet media. So what made you change? Foolish decision. Now, you know, I, uh, I was working as a cook, <clears throat> and um, I have a, a, a dear friend of mine from high school who's actually uh, been a television reporter in, in a long time in New York, and his wife who was a TV news producer, and they kept telling me that I'd really enjoy journalism. And I had this Robert Frost moment, you know, which road to take. Uh, the chef I was working for wanted to recommend me to another rest uh, restaurant to keep mm. developing as a cook. And at the same time, that couple were encouraging me to get into the into the news business. Mm. And I decided to get into the news business mm. uh, at that point. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then... Eventually, you became uh, uh, more into storytelling, uh, travel, and good, good eats, and then wrote many articles for great red media, such as uh, New York Times, Savoir, and Gourmet Magazine. So, what kind of shift did you make? Um, you know, uh, it's funny where life takes you, but <clears throat> I think I came full circle in my 40s to um, uh, have, I had the tools to uh, tell a story, to, to investigate things, and... Um, writing about something is a way to learn about it. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself writing about food, which I've always been interested in. I never stopped cooking. And that kind of took over my life, I guess. And I started to, uh, to work really, uh, to write a lot about food and ended up, you know, writing cookbooks and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so, you know, it, it was a way to marry the two parts of two interests of mine professionally right yeah. sounds like it was supposed to happen and it happened I, I guess so <laughs> right. um, and what did you, did you write about well I started writing about a lot of different food culture you know things that interested me I um, well I did stories on Darjeeling tea I went to India with a friend of mine um, I wrote some stuff about Spain I um uh, I, you know, I started writing things about Japan, uh, but I never had a plan to get that deeply interested in J in Japanese cuisine or food. Mm. Um, but you know, uh, you were talking about in your introduction. I think I was like most Americans. I, I really didn't have a lot of idea about what Japanese cuisine was. Mm. But when I was a TV news producer in Washington, D.C. for a spell, I hated Washington, D.C. Sorry, people <laughs> from Washington. And um, I started, uh, you know, I wanted to be back in New York, whatever. And then I uh, started going to the um, Sackler-Freer Gallery at the Smithsonian, and it turned out that there were these amazing... Uh, shows put on by a curator who I've since become friends with. Um, so I always say she was like the Adam Smith, the invisible hand that pushed me into Japan. <laughs> but she uh, she did all that. She was a, a um, incredible authority on pottery, mm -hmm. and I didn't again didn't know anything about Japanese pottery, but it really spoke to me. I, I love that natural form, and it was uh, functional art. And you you know it, it just it kind of blew me away, and I thought, man. I'm just going to go to Japan and go to a pottery village mm. and check it out and learn more about Japanese pottery. And I did. And I went to this little town uh, in Yamaguchi Prefecture called Hagi, which is uh, mm. a fishing village on the, in the Sea of Japan, on the Sea of Japan, not mm. in the sea. And um, it's also famous for pottery, uh, very famous. And right. um, Hagiyaki means people yeah. really like, wow, it's Hagiyaki. That's yeah, amazing. it was really interesting, right? And I... 
And I just showed up there. It was in the middle of winter, and it was, um, I got to the train station when I arrived in Hagi, and I think people were freaked out. Like, What's this American guy doing there? And they told me to wait because I didn't speak a lick of Japanese. And this very, um, you know, res- kind of this gentleman came up after a while, and he spoke English, and he said he was the school teacher. Uh, he taught high school English at Hagi High School. <laughs> uh, fast times at Hagi High. But... Um, he asked me, he's like, what are you doing in Hagi? You know, and I said, hey, you know, I want to check out the pottery. Mm-hmm. And of course, anyway, it was kind of crazy, but there was an inn that was closed for this, for mm-hmm. the winter, but he uh, got the innkeeper to open it, and I stayed there. And um, the pottery was amazing, but also what really blew me away was just eating Japanese food that wasn't sushi, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't what I, you know, heard about in America or teriyaki or things like that, or even ramen, which I had in New York. Um, but it was just this incredible, you know, country cooking that uh, in some very odd way, like, reminded me of the food that my grandmother would cook with mm-hmm. a, a lot of root vegetables and fish and, you know, really hearty. And, uh, you know, had I was, would go to the same restaurant every day and these, like, two Japanese grandmas would yell at me because I didn't eat enough rice. And I'm like, <laughs> just like my grandmother. So... Uh, you know, and that's really what got me interested. I'm like, man, this is wildly different than anything I, you know, anything I thought and mm-hmm. I knew about. And in fact, I was really surprised when I first went to Japan that you didn't really see sushi in any corner. It was kind of like, not, you know, it's a it's a little tiny part of the cuisine um, right. that is so odd that it's become such a you know a calling card of Japanese right. cooking. But um, yeah, so that that launched, you know me in this direction of getting interested in Japanese cuisine. Mm, when was it? Which year? Uh, 99, maybe? Mm, Something okay. around there, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 98, I don't remember. Mm, and did you write an article about that? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I just did it uh, really for myself. And um, and then, uh, you know, let's get the violins out. And, you know, I used to be work at Sports Illustrated, and they always talked about athletes have, like, they were soaring high and then they something happened and the, you know they broke their leg and they you know they had this crash and then they climbed back up there's always the same story in sports illustrated so mm. i'll tell you the same story i was working as a journalist then i had cancer and i was out for a couple of years mm. and then when i came back and the funny thing you know when you have that happen to you i mean you know theoretically the heavens are supposed to part you had this mortality moment and um you know, you're inspired and all this other stuff. And I, I, um, <laughs> the heavens didn't really part. But it did offer me, I, I, and it kind of surprised me that I, I uh, you know, I got some more clarity. And um, you were saying about, you know, kind of bringing together the journalism and the food stuff. Mm. Um, it really did kind of, you know, you, you you live more immediately, I'd say. And I felt like, okay... This is what I'm interested, you know, the hell with everything else. I'm going to focus on stuff that I care about. And, uh, you know, and I started getting into it. Um, and by then I had gone to Japan a few more times. And um, then I uh, I thought, okay, let me just pitch some stories and maybe mm. I can get in there. Right. So um, what's special about, you know, reporting through food, you know, the culture sort of food for you? I mean, look. Uh, talking about food could be as you know as interesting as talking about plumbing. It, 
you know, if you're a plumber, it's interesting. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's the people, like, especially as Americans, we are, you know, we communicate through stories of people. And um, it was a real, those were really interesting stories that I encountered there. And it was this kind of totally unknown thing. I, 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 like, I, I agree with you in your intro. Even today, I think that it's, it's kind of amazing to me, but Japanese food is really, you know, not so widely understood, mm. you know. Right. It's interesting because you, know, you went to Yamaguchi Hagi, and right. uh, the more you get away from Tokyo, you see more local sustainable. Yeah. And, you know, that food trend is now universal. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, there, that's true. There is a uh, chef that I have become friends with over the last, you know, 15 years or whatever, uh, this gentleman who... Every morning he gets up and he go. He, he lives in Kyoto and there he goes to these mountains north of Kyoto and he, he picks wild greens and he buys all his vegetables from all these. I know you're talking about you got the Nakahigashi. Yeah, Mr. Nakahigashi. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So let's, uh, let's share that with our listeners because uh, Mr. Nakahigashi, he owns a restaurant. Um, it's like a really lo- totally local sustainable. It's this Mr. Hisao Nakahigashi. He actually forages by himself yeah but that's the thing it's like he's just doing his thing that his grandma did and his you know and his grandmother's grandmother and then the folks who who he gets his his vegetables from have been um you know their family they've been farming those plots for for centuries Mm. so uh, you know we put these labels on oh it's sustainable it's local it's Mm. this it's that you know it's like you go to this to this rice um, rice grower, and he has ducks who eat the bugs instead of spraying it with um, pesticides. But uh, you know, I mean, that's just kind of a natural way of, right. of Japanese food, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, of centuries. Mm-hmm. So uh, before, you know, I mean, um, who discovered America? <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> so who discovered what local means? Uh, you know, I think that if you go to any traditional culture. You see that. And Mr. Nakahigashi really, he grew up in the mountains. I've been to where that guy grew up. And it was mm. really, um, it, it takes a little while to get up to where he was as right. a kid. And, and he really did get that all that knowledge. He's a botanist, basically. It's unbelievable mm. going out into the you know, the swamps and the forests and, and river banks and all that stuff with that guy. Because he, he can identify all these plants. Mm. And I'll just say something funny. He came to New York um, to deliver... Uh, uh, some kind of so, some piece of a kitchen equipment because he knows Masa, the the Masa sushi guy, mm-hmm. and he only could come for a couple of days because he had such a, a commitment to his customers and he didn't want to leave them. Mm. But he went to Central Park and he's like, "Wow, there's so much you can eat here!" <laughs> like that's pretty funny. But he, you know, he's, yeah, exactly. oh, well, he saw all these herbs and all this other stuff that was growing. He's like, uh-huh. "Wow, you know, it's this and it's that." It was pretty funny. Mm. He, had a, he was pretty, you know. He didn't go out to a restaurant. Right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, well, but if uh, the our listeners are interested, his uh, restaurant is called the Sojiki uh, Nakahigashi. It's S-O-U-J-I-K-I Nakahigashi. It's N-A-K-A-H-I-G-A-S-H-I. And they, I think he has only 28 seats, a tiny restaurant. I haven't I been think there. less. It's, uh, there might, I think there are 18 seats on the dining counter or something mm. like that. And then, yeah. you know, there's a, a room upstairs. But... Uh, yeah, it's really tiny. Mm-hmm. But you know what's so nice about going to his restaurant? And again, this is such a testament to Japanese culture. I mean, I, you know, I've had the great honor of eating there mm. a number of times in my life. And um, 
you know, it takes months to get a reservation, but it's not like going to Per Se, which is this, you know, um, kind of, you know, very rarefied and, you know, kind of like um, customers or the captains of industry or something like that. Mm. It's just... It's just people right. who love Japanese, like Japanese people who love Japanese food, you mm. know, and who know about Mr. Nakahigashi. And it's like, it was really such a warm, beautiful experience every time I go there because he's a funny guy anyway. I mean, I don't speak Japanese, but I see what's, you know, I can kind of vibe on everybody. Mm. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just people, you know, who, whatever, I, uh, you know, just made a, a reservation months ago and then they could just sit down and mm-hmm. have a really nice meal. But I think that's the, one of the things that really blew me away about Japan, too, is that there is such a sensitivity across the board. Like if you ask the trash collector about what's in season right now, you mm-hmm. know, what's shun, right? right. And, uh, you know, I think like people can give you that answer. I mean, there's kind of an awareness that's part of being Japanese. And it, it doesn't mean you have to be, quote unquote, a foodie, or whatever. You just have to be a person of Japanese culture. Mm. And then you have a sense of, you know, it, it's really amazing to me. Mm. And uh, I, and it's something that I always found so, uh, you know, something that just really appealed to me about going to Japan. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, and I, I know, you know, you know, Akiko, it's like every time you go anywhere in any train station in Japan, they have all these posters that are advertising places. But I always laugh because the biggest part of that poster is food. It's like, <laughs> come true. to this part in, you know, Akita Prefecture and we make, you know, X, Masu, the whatever, like, uh, you know. And um, so food is within Japan is really so, such a big part of life. And mm. um the awareness is so great, you know, that and that's and that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, Mr. Nakahigashi is such a humble man, you mm. know, and um, and his farmers and all those folks. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time with this guy over the years, and it's just, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, somebody's bringing him, oh, these are our special vegetables that are sitting, you know, they're on a, a piece of slate and we're going to look at that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just it's just food, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's coming from, you know, where food should be. Right. Yeah, it seems like uh, I, I read a couple articles about him before and uh, he totally respects the nature. It's almost like uh, Shintoism or something like that. Yeah, but he's not on a religious trip, you know. Right. I mean, uh, he's just kind of honoring that. And he always, you know, we always he always says this is... You know, this is what this ingredient should taste like. Right. This is what, you know, this vegetable. Mm. Or even how he kills chickens because uh, he slaughters his own chickens and he does it in a certain way mm. that uh, apparently doesn't, you know, in his mind doesn't um, shock them and uh, without, like, you know, the adrenaline coming out, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, he has his, his system. He thinks about everything. It's kind mm. of amazing. Right. Yeah, I think uh, all the many chefs like him um, kind of has the attitude that you're given the ingredients by the nature. Yes. So, and then it, I think the whole Japanese society, like everybody, before you eat, you say "tadakimasu" right, means thank you for uh, yeah. the the you know all those uh, giving from the nature. Yeah, so. you you take a second. I mean, we don't do it anymore, and you know anymore in this modern world that. I exist in, you know, but I have a lot of different friends and I have friends who are Mennonite farmers in, you know, in Pennsylvania and they sit down and they give blessing before the food. And I mean, I'm not a religious guy, but it's like, I really respect that. It's Mm -hmm. like you take a minute to thank 
you know, the creator, whoever, <laughs> or whatever it is, or nature, that this came to you from somewhere. It didn't come mm. out of a plastic bag, you know. It's right. like it was grown, it was raised. It's, you know, from nature. It's from somebody's hand, mm. you know, tending to whatever, a chicken or, a, you know, a piece of celery. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, we forget that, I think, mm. a little bit. Well, but I was reviewing, you know, whatever you wrote before, and it's this amazing that, uh, for instance, you had another article for, uh, you stayed at uh, Japanese Ryokan for Hemisphere, Hemisphere Magazine for United Airlines Magazine, and uh, you saw the Ryokan culture, and maybe you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I I did, I had a, a chance to stay in this great old Ryokan in a place called Karatsu, which is another pottery center, which is uh, um, why I was down there. And it's in Kyushu, which is kind of the deep south of Japan. It's a really funny place um, that has its own subculture. I mean, one of the things that I re- realized, I learned, is that uh, Japan is a place of many, uh, you know, microcultures. And, uh, you know, through history, most Japanese were not allowed to leave their area of their birth so you know different parts of japan have their own character and their own dialects actually Mm. and their own food and all kind of sake and different things that are characterized different parts of japan so kyushu has its own Mm. um world and uh yeah the the ryokan was really um very interesting i mean you know as i that was a long a while ago and i Mm. um have since learned more about Japanese culture, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, one of the things that are, is interesting about a place like that is that you're like a real kind of, that there's kind of a way to, you know, to experience it. And, mm. um, I mean, as an American, I, I was really interested in traditions. Yeah. And the well, food. you actually described I, I couldn't help just copying this, but yeah. uh, there, you know, inns are, cultural time uh, time capsules special places Japanese people go for one or two nights to connect with their traditions and take relaxing break from modern life and it was so well described yeah I mean I feel like there there are a lot of different places where you can kind of hit recharge as a Japanese person mm-hmm. and um, for example like if you fast forward a number of years I uh, I mean the funny thing about me since I cooked and I started writing about f- this food, I, I thought, hey, you know, the only way you really write about something is if you start mm. cooking, I mean, to understand it more. So I ended up cooking more, too, and I had an incredible opportunity to work in restaurants in Japan. Um, and I worked in this really amazing place for a month in Kyoto called Hyote, mm. which is over 400 years old. And it was like, I, you know, there was all this stuff when you have a meal at Hyote, and I thought, man, you're just, re- like, you're Japanese, you kind of come in there and you recharge your cultural battery you know like you know who you are Mm. and it and it was amazing to to watch Mm. um you know of course most of it was lost on me but it was really interesting to to observe right well the i think through your assignments and experience in in japan you became so interested in japanese food that uh, you built a website called uh, japanese japanese food report.com and it was. It's amazing. Like it's, it's not just uh, super informative, but you tell a lot of interesting stories about Japanese culture. So, what's the motivation? Well, you know it? what? I heard a lecture by this photographer, and she just passed away recently. Uh, her name was Mary Ellen Mark. She's a really famous photographer, and um, 
she she did all these incredible books um, about uh, prostitutes in India and uh, lepers, all kinds of stuff that were interesting to her. And so, you know, she was talking about how she got into that. And at the time, she was also a really successful uh, photographer of Hollywood movies on their sets, mm. like some of the most, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or some of those stills that are so timeless and were Mary Ellen Mark's work. And so she said, you know what, at the end of the day, she was really interested in, you know, all the stuff that she was interested in. And she said, screw it, I'm going to self-assign myself and do it. And I thought, you know, I was listening to that. I'm like, you know, I'm interested in Japanese world and I want to learn more about mm-hmm. the, the food world. But, you know, and I, I'm always, I was very fortunate that Gourmet or The Times, you know, or Saver would assign me a story. But they're they're covering the whole planet so they're only going to write a little bit about japan mm. and i can only you know i can't do more than a story or two every once in a while for for any of those folks so right. why not assign myself you know uh this place to to really like you to dig into it mm. and um i uh and that's what i did and i just did it really for myself but it it um you know, it grew a following, mm. and I, I still am amazed by you know people looking it up. Yeah, it's it's really complete. I was really impressed how deep it is. Well, you know, it's like I was trying to find a place. Look, I just <laughs> I just did something yesterday. I was cooking uh, for my son and a couple of friends, and I um, I I have a, a, a traditional rice cooker which I hadn't used in a couple of years because I'm so busy with the other life of mine that I have now, and I. So I looked it up, you know, because I knew I wrote about it, you know, in the last 10 years. So I mm. thought, okay, this is what you do. You know? <laughs> so it's my own personal reference library. Mm, it should be globally. Yeah. Well, reference. it's out there. It's online, yeah. you know. Okay. So, yeah, it's JapaneseFoodReport.com. Yeah. Right. I, and I haven't updated since 2012. But, you know, I'm going to get back to it someday. Yeah, I hope so. Right. Okay. Uh, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about Harry's uh, fabulous Japanese restaurants. So please stay with us. profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers in turn help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Harry Salad, who is a journalist and the owner of two popular Japanese restaurants, Ganso Ramen and Ganso Yaki in Brooklyn. 
So um, you opened the Guns Ramen in September 2012, and it's a big jump from a writer to a restaurateur. So what did you just, uh, why did you decide to open a restaurant, and why it's a ramen shop? Well, I, uh, one of my customers came in uh, the other day, and his first question is, do you miss being a freelance writer? So <clears throat> I didn't uh, have a trust fund or a wealthy spouse, so <laughs> I actually needed a real job. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wanted, I, uh, th that's actually partially true. I, I didn't want to set a, a f you know, create a foundation, uh, to, to build a business. I wanted to do that for a long time and the opportunity came, um, in, in downtown Brooklyn, which is going through an incredible change, but still there were time, ways to find a favorable lease to open a restaurant. And I talked a bunch of investors into backing me, mm. you know. But, but you know, it was a, you, originally, you planned to open a restaurant for a long time? Or? Uh, I thought about it for, yeah, for a while, for mm. about, um, you know, I like the business. It's kind of crazy, like the news business. And mm. um, I, uh, I, like I said, I, I always, one of my goals in life has been to, to have my own business. And, <clears throat> and I, uh, so yeah, for about... Eight years or so I was trying to do it. Wow. Yeah, and then it came together. Right. It happened to be a ramen shop. That's the well, reason. that was um, by design, and it was also foolish. Mm. <laughs> I thought, like, I, I mean, it, you know, it's a popular restaurant, but I, the, I thought about ramen. I thought, well, a ramen would be very appealing, um, uh, you know, to, to, the audi to an audience. And I was right about that. Um, And ramen, you know, kind of blew up in New York just at that time. But I, I, it kind of happened around me. So my timing was really good about that. Mm. But I, I, what I didn't appreciate, and I appreciate now, is that uh, ramen, to do really good ramen, and I care about what I do, you know, I don't want to just, you know, slop garbage onto a bowl. Mm. So to do good ramen is actually quite difficult. Mm. And it, It took, you know, I think we we're like we work hard every day uh, still to do a great ramen, and I think we're, our product is really amazing right now. Right. But it 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 was an effort. Yeah, it's an art. Like it, whoever, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen uh, the movie Tampopo. Yeah, and it's so an art. <laughs> yeah, it is, and and it you know, and so you can choose how you want to do things. Um, but we didn't want to. Like we make our, we create umami naturally and we're uh, making stock every day and we're not, you know, pouring in 10 pounds of MSG or anything mm. like that. So everything we're doing, we're pulling out like using like traditional Japanese stock ingredients like kombu or, you know, uh, katsubushi or sababushi, you know, dried shaved bonito, dried sha shaved uh, mackerel. Mm. And uh, those are you know, very potent umami ingredients. And then when you're boiling chicken bones and all that stuff, we make it with chicken bones. And it, you know, so it takes a while and, and it's, it really is kind of this effort because it's all about the soup. Mm. And then, um, you know, all the other parts of ramen, but the soup is the f foundation, you know. Do you have a seat tonight? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Right. Um, how did you prepare uh, to run a restaurant? Did you work in a um, kitchen? Well, I mean, I think the great thing, um, like, you know, for me is I, I've been a quick study. I did terrible in college. Um, and uh, 2.24. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> so I, um, I, you know, wasn't like, I think I, I was probably too young uh to go to school in my head, I guess. But mm -hmm. I, you know, as I went out in life, I've always, like journalism, everything I learned from 
from masters that I met along the way, truly, and uh, writing and all that stuff. I worked with great people. It was just accidental. Uh, so with, when I came with the restaurant business, yes, I thought, well, two things. First of all, I started working with a gentleman who I still work with, and I just saw this morning, who's in his mid-80s and who's been in the restaurant business for a long time and is an incredible guy, and he's been... Ad- advising me since I started this business. So I had a great mentor mm-hmm. and a business partner. So he's he's a great guy and I, I love how he does business. I mean his you know favorite word is equitable. Mm-hmm. And he and he runs he's a very honorable man and which you know fits my philosophy and 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 how we do business. So that I was really lucky to find somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And then before we opened, I started, well, I've been working in restaurants on and off anyway, but mm-hmm. then I um, have some friends who own a Japanese restaurant here in the city, and I said to them, hey, you know, let me volunteer as a manager there a few nights a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got me back into the swing of things and really getting a sense of what I needed to do. Right. So that's how you learn things, like you exactly, said. Exactly, by doing it. Right. Well, I was curious that you said uh, you had a kitchen experience at Hyote in Kyoto, which is the peak of the pyramid of kaiseki cuisine in a way it, how did you get the job well the funny thing is that i you know japan i think is like about it's about hanging around like after a while and i didn't know the people at hyote i actually met them on some press things you know once or twice but they didn't remember me uh but i did strike up um a nice friendship with the, this, these folks who have a knife shop in, in Kyoto, another place that was, that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, Aritsugu, mm. and they have great knives. And I, um, I, I took care of my knives, you know, and I would come back. I wrote a story about knives once, too, and I, I talked to those guys. But then I bought a couple of knives that I was using, and any time I came back to Japan, I brought them with me to get, um, mm. you know, kind of... Uh, Maintained, but they were always like, "Wow, you know, you really take care of your knives. You're working on your shaping and all that other stuff." So, and I, the funny thing about all this is that there's another gentleman, Doctor Ishige. I don't know if you ever came across him. He's he's a historian of Japanese food. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he's retired now. He was a professor at Kyoto University. Really amazing guy. And he he wrote this book that's been translated into English, but just like a I bought a copy. It was like three hundred bucks. It was there were very few copies around. I can't remember the name of the book. They uh, and he talked about how they judged cooks back in the old days in Japan by how they they didn't talk to them. They looked at their knives, and that told them everything. Mm. And so those guys were like, "Wow, we're impressed by how you you know you um, you shape your knives." And I, I had this idea about working in a kitchen in Japan, and I just you know in journalism, it's Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You just ask people questions, and you just ask. And mm. I'm like, hey guys, you know, you know where I can spend a, a you know a month or two working in in Kyoto because I already had done something in Tokyo, mm. and um, they on their own volition. I mean, they went and talked to the to the family that runs Kyoto, and um, I mean, I, I don't speak Japanese, but I could follow a little bit of conversation. And I met them, and we had this meeting between the Aritsugu people. Hyote and myself and the man from uh, gentleman from Aritsugu was talking about like he was saying he you know he kept his the guys always keeps his knife sharp and you know takes care of his knives and I thought man you know like I'm I'm actually living Dr. Ishige's book right now it's so (laughs) funny 
Um, but then they did it. But I, I have to give them credit because it was a big risk. And I think, like, everybody was a little bit like, you know, we're taking a flyer with this guy. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Americans are really impulsive. That's not a, a, a Japanese trait, you know, per mm. se. You know what I mean? That right. it's like, so... Uh, you know, who knows what I'm going to do? <laughs> but, but, you know, I always come to Japan with respect and, and say, hey, you know, uh, I'm not in Brooklyn right now. I, you know, and I'm back, you know, I'm in a different, wildly different culture. I mean, I'm born in Brooklyn. I'm like, you know, totally New York guy. And then Japan is that complete opposite of New York, especially if you're outside of any city, you know, mm. and it, it couldn't be more different. Right. And, uh, you know, for one of the first times I came back, uh, I was, off, you know, kind of I was running around in Japan and this I met this journalist from the uh, from a newspaper in Canada. And she's like, this is the most different place on the planet from an American or Canadian. And mm. I'm like, yeah, it's really di But that's what makes it so appealing. Right. But, yeah, so, I mean, it was, you know, I I, I respect the culture and the people and and it worked out great i learned so much my skills went through the roof in a month i mean i mm. worked my butt off but i did so much knife work and it's you know it's in my hands now for the rest of my life mm. you should put the name on the resume like kitchen experience that's really cool yeah <laughs> you know i mean it's a month you know it's like it's look i'll just say this like you know we we have people you know like they have a a group of um, you know, deshi or shugyo, right? Apprentices mm -hmm. who are essentially like monks and they live, they work for, you know, 10, eight to 10 years as apprentices and then they get out and they call themselves chefs. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's what it takes, you know? And, uh, you know, so I, it would be so presumptuous of me to even say anything, you know, just after a month. I mean, I learned a lot from myself, right. but... But, uh, you know, a lot of you know, people say, I worked at LV, I worked at Noma. Yeah, but at the like end of the day, where, you, you know, that's where... Yeah, I see that. I mean, I'm in the restaurant business. I, I see all, this, all these resumes, and I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you did work in those places, but right. I think it takes... It's like any craft. You have right. to really, like, it takes time, mm -hmm. and then it becomes into your, into your veins, you know, into right. to who you are, and you start to kind of make it your own kung fu basically mm. um whether you cook or you do martial arts or whatever it is it's like after a while it's like kung fu means practice right like do in japanese right mm. it's a, a constant practice and and cooking is the same way and then after a while you start to get kind of your own mojo mm. but it doesn't happen <laughs> overnight at right. least in my book yeah, maybe i'm getting yeah. old-fashioned you know but uh no, but i'm very uh, impressed that aritsugu is really the best people say the best and it's, they're it's, they're really nice people. The shacho there, the the uh, the chairman of the company, he's a really feisty guy. He didn't like my stone, my cut, you know, sh sharpening <laughs> stone. He's like, get rid of that. It's garbage. He, he put gave me some, like, just took one from the shop, and it's like you can borrow it. Uh, whatever. He was really funny. He had very strong feelings about his knives and what was right. And um, and then the gentleman who ran the business too was such a lovely guy. And mm. uh, yeah, they were great. Right. So speaking of people, um, I want to talk about you know how you have a now business partner Tadashi Ono. Yeah, and, I'm uh, really fortunate to yeah, be. Yeah, well, he used to be a executive chef at the Matsuri in the Meat Packing District, and uh, he's now the Gansu's culinary director and the right. business partner. Right. Yes. So how did it happen? Everything happened. Well, I mean, I met Tadashi um, like I meet a million people. I. I interviewed him uh for something i was doing and then but i was really impressed because tadashi of people that i met in in new york uh who in the japanese culinary world had such an incredible ability to 
relate Western cooking to Japanese cooking, mm. and it's and because he was a, a really successful French chef. You know, right. he's around my age, so at the time, mm-hmm. like I'm in my early fifties, he there was no a lot of you know cooking Japanese on a high level anywhere in the United States. So. Mm. If it wasn't sushi, so he came up in French, and then he wanted to, you know, really get back to his roots.、Mm. So that's how we started. Right. Yeah. He actually came to, of course, you know, the he came to a show. Yes.、Uh, several episodes ago, and、uh, if you listeners, you haven't listened to it, you should because Tadashi is amazing. He is an amazing、person. guy. <laughs> I, you know, we wrote three cookbooks together. I, I love,、uh, you know. Kind of talking to him about Japanese food, but he's also a great chef, and he knows how to run a kitchen、mm. and run a, a restaurant, and it's been an incredible partnership. Because you know what I love about Tadashi, he, he's he's an open book. He's a very nurturing man, and if you you know like our chefs at、um, at、uh, at Ramen, you know when we we promoted one of our chefs, and I said to her, I said, look. You know, you have an opportunity.、Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a guy who's learned a lot from people,、mm-hmm. and if, you know, and I, I, I thought, okay, you know, here's Tadashi. You're a cook. Just humble yourself and open yourself up to Tadashi and learn, because、mm-hmm. he wants to teach you. And she did that, and she's an amazing chef. Yeah. So、um, I want to talk about the Gansoyaki because you and Tadashi opened it、uh, in、oh, March this year. Right. And do you call it、uh, uh, izakaya? Uh, yeah, by default. You know, now、mm-hmm. we're yes, it's an izakaya. Right.、Oh, by the way, the izakaya for listeners,、uh, it's a casual restaurant that serves Japanese alcohol and Japanese food、uh, to go with the, the drinks.、Uh, yeah, I mean,、work. it's you know, we've had our like that's the thing. It was a very interesting experience with Gansoyaki because. It's not sushi. It's not ramen. So you know, we're as a culture in America, we like to categorize things. So look, what the hell is it?、Mm. So it's kind of like an isakaya,、right. you know. And there's drinks and there's small plates, but there's you know, it's a very casual、mm. kind of place to you know eat great food. Right. Actually, looked back some、uh, history. Of izakaya, and until 1970s, izakaya restaurants were dominated by male salary men, and but the industry really tried hard to attract women as well. So now you see men and women, even children. Yeah, I mean、izakaya. we have a lot of families. Yeah, you know, here's the thing: like, you know that whatever the label is, it's it gets turned into whatever America is.、Mm. You know what I mean? So I think that.、Um, Yeah, we have all kinds of people come in,、mm. and、um, you know, in the earlier part of the night, we have families coming with kids because all the food is so appealing. Like, cooked Japanese food is so delicious,、mm-hmm. so it's so easy to like. Right,、it's, and I, I think、yeah. the izakaya. You know, if you go to izakaya in Japan, at, or in your place, basically there's something for everybody. Yeah, absolutely.、And、it's any occasion, birthday party, or yeah, know, or just kind of having a simple meal too. You know, and、right. some like I used to go to this izakaya in Midtown. And there's a kind of like a, a area in the East Forties in Manhattan that、um, has a lot of Japanese restaurants that serve the Japanese multinational companies that are located there.、Mm. I could just sit down at the dining counter and have a great meal and not talk to anybody or whatever, you know, and just chill.、Right. So、um, people do that at our restaurant too.、Mm-hmm. So from you know the whole gamut. Yeah, I really like the Gansoyaki's energy because it's it's just exactly yeah, yeah, like. Like in Japan, which is very important to the Japanese whole society. Yeah, absolutely. Right, you can let off some steam.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, and I heard you're planning to open a sushi place. Yeah, we're in construction right now.、Um, yeah, we finally are doing a sushi place, and、uh, 
We are building it right next door to Gansoyaki, and uh, it's going to be called Sushi Ganso. What an imaginative name. <laughs> but um, Sushi Ganso is going to be a lovely restaurant. Uh, Tadashi is you know, talking to a number of chefs. But it's going to be a Japanese sushi restaurant. So it's not going to be... You know, it's not going to be this rarefied thing where you have to speak in hushed tones mm-hmm. when you walk in. It's going to be like the way Tadashi and I are, which is kind of have fun, have a great meal, mm. enjoy yourself casual. But good food. We care about the food. So we're going to have really good sushi, but Japanese sushi. Mm. You know, I don't know inside out spinach <laughs> rolls or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just going to be pretty straight Japanese sushi, but it's going to be tasty. Mm. Okay. So when do you think it's going to open? Um, January. We're okay. working, uh, building it right now. I was just there this morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. We're getting there. Right. All right. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Harris. Thank you so much, Akiko. Nice to see you. Well, uh, good luck with the opening of Gansou Sushi. Thank you. All right. And listeners, if you'd like to know more about Harris restaurants, please visit gansounyc.com. That is G-N-S-S-O-N-Y-C.com. And you should check out his wonderful Japanese food website, JapaneseFoodReport.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful website, so please visit our page. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org. Also iTunes and Stitcher podcasts. So, um, and today's show was made possible by Santori. And our engineer is Jack Inslee. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.